All right. Good morning, dads. Morning. That's a Cheerios commercial. Isn't that crazy? If you ever w- want to look that up again and watch it, uh, you can just type in how to dad Cheerios commercial. And he actually gives a whole lot of really good, like, punchy advice as you go through the whole thing. It's pretty awesome. So, morning. Glad you guys are here. My name is Chris Sherrod. And um, welcome. We've got this week and next week uh, for Dad You for this fall. Uh, I want to let you know we will do this again in January, and so you can be looking for um, notifications on that. But our podcast every other week is still going on with hopefully helpful stuff that's um, pertinent to you as dads. I have a few reminders or announcements uh, for you. The first one is coming up next uh, on our big overall calendar is our parenting conference. So we had last year our Uncommon Marriage Conference. This year we've got one that is all about parenting. And we, I just want to tell you, what I'm most excited about this is we've got like 40 different breakouts um, and three different blocks that you're going to be able to pick from that are all relevant to literally every age and stage that you are in or dealing with. And so you can go ahead and register online for that. So it's called Generation to Generation. Next reminder... Uh, we have a podcast. I mentioned that already, but if you want to do a quick um, QR picture of that one, that'll take you right to it, and you can sign up for that. Every, again, every other Thursday is when we're releasing that one. Next announcement, we have Parenting on Points starting up next month. Some of you have been through this before. This is an eight-week class uh, on overall uh, parenting from God's perspective, and just, uh, just like this format where you've got uh, table leaders and you've got God's Word and principles that we draw from that. So I want to make sure you are aware of that. Uh, maybe more relevant, your wife is aware of that to uh, help you get signed up. There is uh, child care provided on Thursday nights if you want to come to that. Uh, next, just a reminder, if you've been married zero to five years, your wife can come to our newly married uh, retreat that is a week from this Friday. And uh, we did one for the guys back in January. We're going to have it again this year. But this is just for young wives or newly married wives, I should say. Um, for you to for you to give your wives a chance to just talk about all the challenges that you've been giving them for these last uh, few years. <laughs> Anyways, this is just really a fun time for young uh, wives to get together and get some encouragement and fellowship. And then last, I want to remind you, we are doing as part of kind of a brand new thing related to family, especially for fathers. If you have a son who's in elementary uh, school age, we have a open house this Tuesday night for Trail Life USA. And if you just want to find out more about it, you can show up and you'll see kind of the heart behind it and what is a typical Tuesday night going to look like. But this is a brand new thing that we're launching starting this Tuesday as a part of strengthening our families and in particular fathers and sons because it's all about fathers discipling their their sons. Um, So we'd love to have you come to that. So here at Dad U, we've got a few things based on uh, Deuteronomy 6. If you look at the next slide, we've got uh, three basic reminders of loving God, living his word, and leading your family. And all of that flows from Deuteronomy 6, which starts at, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And so you're loving God with all of your everything there. And then it says his, his word is to be on your hearts. And so if you look at this next slide, we've got a reminder from Deuteronomy 6 about God's word and its relevance to us and then what we are to do with it. And this is leading into our talk this morning. It says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently, literally sharpen your children with them, sharpen, teach them diligently to your kids, okay, to your children. 
And in particular, it says, talk of them when you sit at your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. There should be a frontless between your eyes. Write them on the doorpost of your house. The point there is, you, your home is a word environment. You talk about it in different settings. You've got it up around visually. It's just a part of who you are. But it all goes back to you. It's on your heart. Okay? So we've been going through different Proverbs this uh, semester and the impact that it has on how we can walk wisely as dads. And the main proverb today that we're going to look at and the basis of our talk today is from Proverbs, uh, I'm sorry, from Psalm, we threw in a Psalm here, is uh, Psalm 112, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. So there's the fear of the Lord we talked about week one, and then you're delighted in in his commandments. And then there's this reminder that it impacts your family. It says the offspring, his offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. So what we wanted to do this morning is talk about as dads, what does that mean if I'm supposed to teach them diligently to my kids? If fearing God and and delighting his commandments is so important, it has an impact on my kids. What does that mean for me as a dad? And what are things that I for sure should be teaching? So this morning, I've invited our director of regeneration, Um, our Monday night recovery program that I would encourage all of you to go through um, to talk about this. And so Dave, I'll throw your family picture up on the screen there and then um, invite you to come on up. You guys welcome Dave Breskus. Thank you, Chris. Good to be with you. Uh, Good to be with you dads, you men today. Uh, I was on a road trip about a decade ago, one of my dear friends, Randy, and Randy decided to bring along his seven-year-old son, Truett. Glad to have him along. And at the time, Truett was obsessed with Pokemon. So we're driving across uh, eastern New Mexico, west Texas, on a long road trip, and Truett is in the back seat looking through a three-ring binder filled with Pokemon character cards. And one by one, he pulls them out, holds them up so that I can look in the rearview mirror and see them, explains every character to me, tells me about his strength, his weaknesses, his alliance, his enemies. And after about 10 minutes of this, Randy looks back at his son, Truett, and says, hey, Truett, Pastor Dave might not be as interested in Pokemon as you are. Why don't we wrap this up? Truett looked back at his dad with some indignation, said, dad, if you'll just give me 30 minutes, Pastor Dave will love Pokemon just as much as I do. (laughs) Here's the deal this morning, guys. Chris has given me some freedom to talk about any text I want to talk about, so I've picked my favorite verse in the Bible. If you'll give me 30 minutes, I promise it'll be your favorite verse as well. Uh, I want us to look today at Colossians 1, and interesting, why don't we look at Colossians 1 when we're thinking through Proverbs and wisdom? I'll explain that in just a minute. But as you do Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20, I think these are five of the most important verses in the entire Bible. Let me tell you why. First of all, I think we see in these few verses the meta-narrative of the Bible. We see almost in cliff note fashion, if you remember what cliff notes are, some of you are too young to even know what I'm talking about, this is the summary of all of what God is doing in the world for his glory. I also think in these five verses, we have the interpretive key to help us understand every passage in the Bible. So this morning, rather than give you some verses you, you might teach your kids, I want to give you one you absolutely have to teach your kids. Let me pray for us, and we'll jump into Colossians 1, 15 to 20. We're going to answer the most important question that we can answer as dads, and then we can ask and then answer for our kids, and that is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to us? Let me pray. Father, thank you for these brothers. Thank you for these men. These are men of God. Father, these are your men. 
And because they're in Christ, you love them, Father, with all the love and affection and acceptance that you have for your son, Jesus. I pray that they would live in your love this morning. Fathers, we open up your word through your spirit. Would you open up our hearts that we might see Jesus in greater detail than we've ever seen him before? And I pray as we focus in on Jesus, you would give us a vision of not only what our life should be as your sons, but the way that we should live in a way that we teach and raise up and love and care for our sons and our daughters. Um, Father, I especially pray this morning for any dad in this room who's feeling discouraged and dejected. Would you give him a sense of his righteousness is in Christ and there is hope today for change if things haven't gone well in the past. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. If you guys would, turn with me to Colossians 1. We're going to pick up in verse 15. We're going to ask a simple question, and that is just, who is Jesus? Most important question we can ask, most important thing we can teach our kids, who is Jesus? Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers, or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We could spend hours today unpacking, um, unpacking these, these, these first few sentences from Colossians 1.15, but I know you need to get to work, and I know even if I wrote you a note, your supervisor wouldn't understand. So let's highlight a couple things for here first. I want you to see this. Jesus is the image, and we're speaking of Jesus. If you look at the previous text, even though we see that the pronoun he here, we're speaking of the, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. The New Testament was written in an ancient form of Greek called Koine Greek. This is the term icon, right? That's a term we're familiar with. Jesus is, or he is the icon of the invisible God. Icon can mean two things. Icon can mean he's the representation of the invisible God. Icon can also mean he's the manifestation of the invisible God. What this text is teaching us is that when you and I look into the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see God himself. Jesus isn't just the mere representation of the invisible God. He is the manifestation of God. Our God is a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son is eternally God, co-equal with the other members of the Trinity, co-worthy of worship. God the Son added to his divinity humanity. He became a man and lived among us. His name is Jesus, and he is the image of the invisible God. Let me see if I can explain this maybe in a way that's a little bit more uh, accessible. How many of you binge watch during the pandemic? Like there's nothing, yeah, raise your hand. It's okay. It's a safe place. No judgment here. Uh, so much time on our hands, nothing to do, stuck at home. I don't know about you, but I binge watch. One of the things I wanted to do before the pandemic began is I wanted to take my wife, who loves musicals, to see the musical Hamilton. Didn't get to see it, didn't make it to Fair Park. We're now in the midst of the pandemic, and all of a sudden Disney Plus begins to show up on our feeds, and this idea of Hamilton's on Disney Plus. So I splurged, bought the money for Disney Plus just so we could watch Hamilton. Now, as I watched that, I could tell you that I saw an icon of Alexander Hamilton. Now, what was that? Was that a representation of Alexander Hamilton, or was it a manifestation? Although we would all agree that Lin-Manuel Miranda did a great job of of portraying Alexander Hamilton, he wasn't a manifestation of Alexander Hamilton. He was merely representing him. The only way that I could have watched that and said, I actually saw Alexander Hamilton 
would be for the eternal spirit of Alexander Hamilton to embody uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda. And I could have said, okay, I saw the manifestation of Alexander Hamilton. Jesus is the manifestation of God. Again, when you and I look into the face of Jesus, we see the invisible God made visible. He is the image of the invisible God. Then there's something else that this text teaches us that's confusing, perhaps. It says immediately after that phrase that he is the firstborn of all creation. What does that mean? Does that imply there ever was a time where the Son of God didn't exist, that somehow he's a creature versus creator? Absolutely not. If you look at the context, and context always helps us, even as we teach our kids, understand what the text means. The context is very clear that Jesus is the agent of creation. He's not creature, he is creator. So what can firstborn mean? When you and I look in Scripture, and you see this throughout the Old Testament, firstborn means not only first in time, and we all would agree that that. God the Son existed pre-creation forever. There's never been a time where he wasn't. He was first in time. It also means first in importance. Any firstborns in the room here today? I've got one little brother, and I remind him all the time, as my mom and dad are getting older, hey, I don't know how they did their will, but I'm the firstborn, which biblically speaking means I'm worth uh, double inheritance. I don't know how they're going to do it. Maybe they're going to be biblical. They're not. Don't hate me. Don't be a hater. I'm just the messenger. It's about the Bible. I remind them that constantly. I'm doing a double share, bro. The idea that Jesus is the firstborn among creation means he's most significant. He existed before creation, and he is above all created things. Now, look at the word that's repeated here in these verses. Do you see it? It's the word all. All is repeated over and over again, and we get this picture that when we look at Jesus, he is the agent of creation. Everything that exists, everything visible and invisible was created through Jesus and ultimately for Jesus. And then we get down to the last part of this text here. We come to the end of verse 18, and it says, he is before all things, and in him all things what? Hold together. What does that mean? I, uh, I pastored and I planted and pastored a church in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and uh, many of the, the men who came to our church were scientists at Sandia Labs and also Los Alamos Labs. You've heard of Los Alamos, too, if you've seen the movie Oppenheimer. That's still in existence. Those guys work there. These are nuclear physicists and scientists, and they get so excited about this verse because, hey, this is molecular science in the Bible. And I think, well, although that may be true, that's not what this text means. When this text is saying that Jesus holds all things together, what it's teaching us is Jesus makes sense of everything. As you and I understand the world around us, everything that exists, things that are visible and things that are invisible, what this text is saying is all things have meaning in as much as they relate to Jesus. Jesus gives meaning to everything. Apart from Jesus, nothing has meaning. But because of Jesus, because all things were created through him and ultimately all things were created for him, Jesus gives meaning to everything. If you're taking notes this morning, that's really point one. Who is Jesus to us? Jesus is our meaning. And I think this is so critically important that we teach our kids, right? That's Deuteronomy 6 that Chris just read for us in action. As we walk through life, we point out to our children that everything that exists, visible and invisible, has meaning as It relates to the Lord Jesus. Jesus is our meaning. Here's the simple concept of the Bible. The Bible is not a thousand stories combined in some sort of collection of stories. The Bible is one story. 
It's about the person and work of Jesus. The Bible isn't a thousand principles to live by, and we need to be really careful here as we teach our kids. It's one person to live for. His name is Jesus. And the Bible presents the story of God in four acts. Act one is creation. God created the first human beings, our common parents, Adam and Eve, to enjoy him and worship him forever. And everything was good. When completion was finished, God looked at it and he declared, it is what? It's good. Then as we look at the Bible, just within a couple chapters, our common ancestors, Adam and Eve, did what God told them not to do. They rebelled against God. And after that, everything fell. Everything was broken. The entire aspect and essence of creation fell, including humanity. All of a sudden, we were estranged from God because of sin. That's act two. Act one, creation. Act two, fall, but God. But God is a God of redemption. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of compassion. God is a God of grace. And he decided to redeem a people for himself through Jesus. This is the act we're living in now. Through the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus, you and I can be reconciled to God. We can become, along with everyone else who believes in Jesus, the people of God, and we're living in the space and time where God is with us, God loves us. We have the favor of God because of who Jesus is. And there's one final act. We're not there yet. It's the act of, I'll call it restoration, where God is going to make everything right forever. Jesus will return. He'll rule on the earth. It'll be a new heavens and a new earth. There'll be no more sin, no more death, no more suffering. We're not there yet, but we're looking forward to that. Jesus gives meaning to everything. Why is this important? Because our kids are living in a broken world. Not everything is as it should be in this world. Have you experienced that? However old your kids are, even that brand new baby, that baby gets sick, are things difficult? Do you ever see that photo you take of your baby when you look at the baby and the baby just says, I don't like, without using words like, I don't want to be a baby. I don't like it. This is that mystery look on their face. This is a broken world. And yet God has entered into our world through Jesus and he is redeeming a people for himself. He loves us. He's with us, but we still live in this broken world. I've got four daughters, as you probably saw in the picture. Uh, My wife and I, Carol, will be married 36 years in December. Uh, I've got six grandkids. Seven is on the way soon. And uh, growing up and, 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 and being a dad to, to four daughters is like living in a sorority. It's been exciting. But having grown up with one brother, I constantly need my wife to translate what is going on. Uh, my, my youngest daughter, a few years ago, Jillian, at the age of 20, was diagnosed with stage 4 Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I remember taking her along with Kara to her first chemotherapy treatment and walking in. And I could just tell she was afraid. I could tell she was uncertain, she was nervous, and I don't know if you've experienced chemo personally or you've known somebody who has, their, um, their, their, their physiology just changes before your eyes. Her countenance, she, she literally turned a different color. She went from looking vibrant and healthy to just looking washed out and almost a green color, and as she finished the treatment that day, I could tell she was scared, I could tell she was sad. Uh, as we got home, she went up to her room and went to sleep, prayed over her. And my little girl, when she's not feeling well, when she's scared or she's sad, she sleeps it off. So I remember sitting there at my desk, kind of working, but she's upstairs sleeping, and my heart just aches for her. And dads, I don't know if you ever had this experience. Sometimes in those hard moments, all I can think about is all my failures as a dad. You been there? And I'm thinking there as she's laying in bed trying to sleep off her fear and her anxiety and her sadness. I'm just thinking, I hope she doesn't have running through her mind right now. All the times I told her to be strong, 
to be courageous, to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, to rub some dirt on it and move on. Like, I hope that's not running through her head. And as I'm there, I just start to pray, Father, you're the perfect father. Would you make it known to her today that you're a father who loves her and accepts her and you're with her in this moment and you're going to get her through this? She slept the rest of the afternoon. It's dinner time. It's just me and Kara. Jillian comes down to the table. She sits there. We begin to eat in silence. You can tell she doesn't feel well. Her, her, her appetite is suppressed. And she looks at us and just casually says, oh, God spoke to me today. We're like, okay. You know, like that probably deserves a little bit better of a segue and a buildup, but pray tell what it was that God said. She said, well, it's really weird. She said, I was just about to wake up and I was kind of in that place between sleep and awake. And she said, I heard a voice say, my daughter. And she said, dad, at first I thought it was you, but it didn't sound like your voice. And I looked around the room and you weren't there. And she said, I think it was God reminding me that he loves me and he has me. That's the meaning of Jesus right? That's the story of where we are in the Bible. We're in this redemptive stage where God has, has called us to himself through Jesus. God loves us. God is for us. And yet the world around us is broken. It's not quite right. And we live through sin and suffering right here and now, knowing that God is with us because of who Jesus is. Jesus gives meaning to everything. Are you men? Are you teaching your children about meaning that everything that exists, visible and invisible, everything that happens ultimately has meaning in as much as it relates to Jesus. Now, there's more to who Jesus is. Look with me, if you will, at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Isn't that amazing? It's an incredible statement. Jesus is the head of the body, that's the church. So when we think in terms of senior pastor, the entirety of the local church, and every local church has one senior pastor. His name is Jesus. If we made an org chart, Jesus is at the top of the org chart. He is the head of the body. And that's another amazing image that all of us who have come to faith in Jesus are connected together like a body is, in which we're connected to Jesus. We're united to Jesus. He is the head of the body. And because of the resurrection, guess what Jesus has the right to be? Preeminent. And a few things? No. In what? In everything. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is first. Jesus is superior. Jesus is preeminent in everything. Everything, visible and invisible, in who we are as followers of Jesus. And the things that we think, and the things that we speak, and the things that we feel, and the things that we do, Jesus is first and foremost. I love what uh, Abraham Kuyper has said about this. This is his quote. It's one of my favorite quotes that I've ever heard. He says this, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine! Every square inch of our universe, every thought, every feeling, every hair on our head, every aspect of who we are, Jesus is preeminent. Here's the second thing I want you to know about the answer to the question, Who is Jesus? Not only is Jesus our meaning, Jesus is our mission. Jesus is our mission. Now, let me explain that because I know what you're thinking. You think, wait, wait, wait. I think making disciples is our mission. Yes, but in order to make disciples, you have to be a disciple first. Let me show you what Jesus himself says. Look look with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And I want you to listen to how similar the language here is to Colossians 1, okay? Pay attention to this. This is really cool. 
And Jesus came and said to them, this is right before Jesus ascends into heaven. He's already resurrected. He's gathered his disciples, his last instructions to them. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's preeminent over every square inch, as Kuiper would say. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Look at this next phrase. Teaching them to observe or to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do you hear that? Jesus is saying, everything is mine. Every square inch, mine. And I want you to now go and make disciples of all nations. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to teach them to do what? To live under my preeminence, to obey me in everything. I want you to teach them to know, to love, to trust, to obey, to worship me. Jesus is our mission. In order to make disciples, we must first be disciples. In order to be a disciple, this is the expectation of Jesus over us as disciples. That we obey him in everything. That everything we think, everything we speak, everything we feel, everything we do, every relationship, every activity ultimately falls under the preeminence of Jesus. How can that happen? It happens according to Colossians 1 because we're connected to him. We're united with him. He's the head. We're the body. And because of his resurrection, you and I can live a brand new life in him. In the power of the Holy Spirit living in victory over sin, living in obedience to him. Jesus is our mission. My wife and I will do Friday night movies together at home. And we alternate weeks as to who gets to choose. She's got two favorite categories. She loves horror films for whatever reason. And so a lot of times she'll choose a horror film. And she loves rom-coms. No surprise there, right? She calls my categories the W categories because it's always a Western or a war movie. And uh, I don't know if you remember, uh, about two decades ago now, a war movie came out called Saving Private Ryan. Do you see it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a powerful film. I, uh, I remember the trailer, seeing it in the theater for the first time. And what was unique was the tagline of this film. Remember the promo? Remember the trailer? There was the scenes. And at the conclusion of it, the, the tagline was, this time the mission is what? A man. In other words, this is a different kind of war film. This time the mission isn't defeating an enemy, a, a, a conquering a specific geographical space, or conquering a weapon. This time the mission is a man. In other words, there's a select group of soldiers sent in uh, through Normandy to find Private James Ryan, who's the last surviving son of his mother, to bring him back home so his mom doesn't have to be bereaved of all her kids. Isn't that the essence of the Bible? The mission is ultimately a man. He's a God-man. He's Jesus. He is the man. In all of our lives, in everything we are, and the whole universe around us, is ultimately coming under his preeminence. That's the mission. Are you teaching your kids about mission through the Bible? Are you helping them understand that the essence of every scripture, every text, everything you want to tell them is that by his grace and through his glory, we can live lives surrendered to his preeminence in every aspect in the way that we think, feel, speak, and act. You ever had a hard conversation with your child about this? We had a teenage daughter who was rebellious and uh, it went on for a season, a long season. And I'll never forget the time that we sat down with her. Karen and I sat down and had the really hard talk. That her life was very inconsistent and had been for a while of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. 
And she kind of alluded to, well, you know, there was this time in the past when I went to church and, you know, and I, you know, prayed a prayer and I was baptized and we had that hard conversation saying, honey, to really know Jesus is to be connected to him in such a way that to know him is to love him and to trust him. And ultimately, although not perfectly, there has to be present in your life obedience. And we had the hard conversation of, you may not know Jesus. And then we invited her to respond again to the gospel. You ever had that conversation? Jesus is our meaning. Jesus is our mission. Let's finish up with one more thing about Jesus. Back to Colossians 1. Join me, if you will, in verse 19. For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. It's not a beautiful statement. For in Jesus, all the fullness, everything that God is, the very essence of God, is pleased to dwell in Jesus. Don't you love that? It's not a beautiful picture. God's not reluctant. God's not apprehensive. God's not, uh, if I got to do this, I got to do this. This wasn't my first choice. All the fullness of God is pleased to dwell within Jesus, and God has purpose in Jesus. And his purpose is this. Jesus lived the only perfect life that's ever been lived. Jesus went to the cross in our place, and there is our perfect, blameless substitute. Jesus paid the penalty of sin on our behalf. He broke the power of sin over us. He died in our place, and it gets even better. He was dead, he was buried, and then he rose from the grave physically, bodily, victoriously. He's risen, he's ascended, he's at the right hand of God the Father. And through the perfect life, the substitutionary atonement, and the victorious resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I can be reconciled to God. The effects of the fall are reversed. We're no longer enemies of God. We're no longer estranged from God. We're no longer in a hostile relationship with God. God is for us in every way that he can be because of the performance of Jesus. And we can be reconciled through the blood of Jesus. There's not a more important message you can teach your kids over and over again through every verse, every window, every opportunity as you teach them all the verses you have of who God is for us in Jesus. I love what John Perkins says about reconciliation. If you don't know John Perkins' story, you should read it sometime. He grew up in, in, in rural Mississippi as, as a black man suffering incredible persecution and, and racism from the community. And, and he talks about four different types of, resurrec- of reconciliation that we have through Jesus. The first is people to God, right? You and I can attest to that today. That's why we're here. We've been reconciled to God. We're no longer enemies. We're no longer estranged. We've been reconciled to God through Jesus. That's one type of reconciliation. People to people are reconciled, right? You ever had a falling out with a brother and sister in Christ? You can be reconciled on the basis of the cross. You can ask for and receive forgiveness because you've been forgiven. And so not only are people reconciled to God, people are reconciled to people. At the cross of Jesus, people groups are reconciled to people groups. We see this in the, old, in the beginning of the New Testament, that the, the Jewish people were reconciled to non-Jewish people, that, that men are reconciled to women, that slaves and those of the, the working class are reconciled to those who are not. We see it in our world today. Black reconciled to white, men to women, even Republicans and Democrats reconciled through the cross of Jesus. And then the fourth type of reconciliation that ultimately will come is we'll be reconciled again to creation. 
Do you realize that, man? We're not reconciled right now to creation. Did you feel that when you walked out the door this morning? Right? You throw open the door and it's like sticking your head in the dishwasher as soon as it's open. You're like, we are not okay, atmosphere. We need Jesus. This isn't all right. This can't be forever. Here's the third thing I want you to know about Jesus. Jesus is our meaning. Jesus is our mission. Third thing you got to know about Jesus. Jesus is our message. This is the message of the Bible. We are reconciled to God through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. We call that the gospel. And the gospel is the baseline story. God is redeeming a people for himself. That's the meta narrative of the Bible, and he's doing it through Jesus. And this is what I want your kids to know. This is what I want my kids to know. Why is that significant? Because here's what our kids do often here. Spoiler, here comes the hard news. Too often our kids grow up hearing, God loves good little girls and boys, so be a good little girl and be a good little boy. Nothing could be further away from the truth of the Bible. I planted a church near the University of New Mexico years ago. And we saw a lot of people come to faith, which I'm so thankful for. Many of them, many of them were kids who grew up in Christian homes and even attended church. And when we'd talk about the gospel, you know what they would tell us? I've never heard that before. They'd say, I did the whole nine yards. My, my, my dad taught me the Bible. And, and we, the Bible was a part of our home. And we would go to church. We sat in Sunday school and we had flannel graphs. It was really cool. But what I heard, and maybe they just weren't listening, but what I heard over and over again is try harder, do more, be better. Those are the kind of people that God loves. And I realized that I didn't measure up and I didn't know what to do until I came here. And I heard that Jesus has done it in my place. This is the way it looked in my house with my first two daughters. Before I fully understood this, we had a tradition in my home. Don't copy this. If you, if you, if you walk away with anything today, walk away with it. I'm not going to do it the way Dave did it because he really messed it up. That would be a good takeaway. Uh, two oldest daughters, when they turned age five, we had a big birthday party and we invited grandparents to come and we had a special cake. We even had pinatas. It was amazing. We had special presents. And before, after dinner, before they blew out their cake, we asked them, do you want to invite Jesus into your heart? And they said, well, yeah, you know, if there's going to be cake and presents and piñatas afterwards, why not? And what we were doing is we were inviting them to believe in Jesus like they did Santa Claus or the tooth fairy. We weren't really teaching them the gospel. I really do believe, men, as you parent your children, the precursor to seeing the grace of God is coming into the realization of the wrong of your sin. That Jesus makes sense as you become aware of the fact that I've offended God. I'm broken apart from God. My heart is sick unless God does something on my behalf. And so after the first two daughters, we put pause on that. And we just faithfully taught the Bible as the Bible was. And we waited for God to work. And I'm so thankful that each one of my adult daughters at some point in their, in their, in their childhood and into their youth came to this realization that I am sinful. I'm broken. I need a savior. And the next step was simply, hey, let's believe in all that God is for us in Jesus. Let's put our faith and put our trust in the perfect life of Jesus, the substitutionary death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. I want you to teach your kids the Bible start to finish. Pick the verses that mean the most to you. Be faithful in that, but I want you to see this is the heartbeat of the Bible. This is the interpretive key to the Bible. If you're not connecting the things you're teaching them to the central message of the Bible, you're not faithfully teaching them the Bible. 
And despite your best intentions, you may mislead them into thinking that the only way to right relationship with God is to do more and try harder. What do we do with this? Who is Jesus to us? Jesus is our meaning. Jesus is our mission. Jesus is our message. Here's a different way of seeing it. If we look at the Old Testament throughout, there's three primary characters. You see them over and over again. There are prophets, there are priests, there are kings. Think about it this way. What does a prophet do? A prophet reveals God to the people. Jesus is our meaning means Jesus is our ultimate prophet. Not only is he the ultimate messenger of the Bible, he himself is the message. We see kings, some good kings, mostly bad kings, all flawed kings. Jesus is the ultimate king. That's how we can say Jesus is our mission. That's how Jesus can claim preeminence over every square inch of the universe everywhere. We see priests. Jesus is our priest, but he's a different kind of priest. Not only did he provide and intermediate between God and the people and the people and God and provide sacrifices, he himself was the sacrifice. The only sinless one who's ever lived. What do we do with this? What do we make of Jesus? There's a book that came out. It must have been 20 years ago. Right? Every now and then there's just a popular book that comes out that is like, you've got to read this. And you read it and then the, fade, the fad kind of passes and you read on to the next one. This was one of those books. It was called Blue Like Jazz, written by a guy named Donald Miller. But I love this story in his book. I want to read it to you real quick. He said this, a guy I know named Alan went around the country asking ministry leaders questions. He went to successful churches and asked the pastors what they were doing and why what they were doing was working. It sounded very boring. It does, doesn't it? It sounded very boring except for one visit he made to a man named Bill Bright, the president of a big ministry. Alan said he was a big man, full of life, who listened without shifting his eyes. Alan asked a few questions. I don't know what they were, but as a final question, he asked Dr. Bright what Jesus meant to him. Alan said Dr. Bright could not answer the question. He said Dr. Bright just started to cry. He sat there in his big chair behind his big desk and wept. When Alan told that story, I wondered what it was like to love Jesus that way. I knew then that I would like to know Jesus like that with my heart, not just my head. I felt like that would be the key to something. Men, that's the key to everything. Let me, let me tell you something I want you to hear really clearly. Something that Prof. Howard Hendricks used to tell us at Dallas Seminary. You can't impart that which you don't possess. The most important thing you can do as you love and lead your kids, is know Jesus personally. And the way that we know Jesus is the way in which we grow to know anyone else. is through conversation. And God speaks to us through his word. And you and I respond to his word in prayer. Would you consider, if you're not doing this already, would you consider starting even tomorrow, giving the best 30 minutes of your day to knowing Jesus through his word? So many opportunities here at Watermark to do that. There's join the journey. There's so many different opportunities. There's equipped disciples. So many ways you have to do that. Would you do that? Because here's the most important things you can give to your kids. You can give your kids and demonstrate in front of your kids a firsthand experience of knowing who Jesus is through his word. What if we committed to that? Let me pray for us, and I know you're going to have table conversations. Lord, thank you for these brothers. I'm so encouraged by the fact that they're here today. They're here today, Lord, because they love you and they love their children. Oh, Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that through him we can be reconciled. Thank you that through him we can be uh, empowered to live on mission. Thank you that through him 
We can know you. We can know him. Our lives can be transformed. And we have uh, the opportunity and we can be empowered to love our kids the way that you designed. Lord, I pray for any man in the room today who's struggling with shame and guilt. May he give that to you in this time. May he realize that there's forgiveness and there's grace and there's mercy and there's new beginnings in Jesus. Lord, for those men who are, who are uh, finding right now a really sweet spot in loving and serving their kids, would you, would you give them a sense of boldness and responsibility to share with the other guys what it is they're doing and invite them and walk with them as they learn to do it? Lord, would we be able as men in this room to not only see our children walk with you, but our children's children? All for your glory. You're so good to us. In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen.